let's see if God really is who he says he is and will really do what he says he will do. One of the things we know from the Gospels, the Gospel of John in particular, Jesus tells us that he's leaving, but anything that we ask in his name, the Father will do. So to, to make that simple, well, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is Jesus tells us that we can pray to God and God will answer prayer. That's super simple. We're not talking about asking for Lamborghinis or asking to be healed from crazy diseases. We're, we're simply saying God hears prayer and he answers. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So Naomi seems to be asking God to deal kindly with Orpah and with Ruth. Well, Orpah, she goes off the scene. We don't hear about her anymore, and we've moved into chapter two now, and we have Naomi and we have Ruth. So is God really who he says he is? Is he really a God who answers prayers? Is he really a, a God, as Romans eight twenty eight tells us, who wants good things and does good things for his children? That's who he says he is. Are you really that God? So let's see. Let's see what he does for Ruth. Let's see if he really is who he says he is. Because if he is, in fact, who he says he is, then he is, in fact, worthy of our worship. If he's not who he says he is, you've come here and you've probably had some fun, but that's it. All of this is for nothing if God is not who he says he is. It's, it's one thing for me to be able to claim and to preach to you that God does not forsake his children. It's an easy thing to say, but it's another thing to know absolutely without a doubt that it's true. And so here's the question, is God actually working all things, all circumstances, even suffering, even the death of Naomi's husband and the death of Ruth's husband, is he working that actually for their good? So I have three truths. The first truth is this, the unfolding of God's plan in our life should lead us into greater worship. So here's what happens. In chapter 1, uh, these women and their husbands, they are in the land of Moab. Well, Elimelech, the patriarch, and his two sons, they die. And now uh, Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they're all in the land of Moab, and all of their family has died, right? They, they went to the, the land of Moab 10 years before because there was a famine in Bethlehem where, where Naomi's from. And so they find themselves in this new land, and all of their husbands have died. And so Chapter 1 closes with us seeing that Naomi and Ruth, they have nothing. But chapter 2 opens with them not going back to Bethlehem in famine, but going back to Bethlehem where there's plenty. And so very, very soon in chapter 2, we see that even though they can't see it, what we get to see is they're moving from hopelessness to hopeful. Right now, their suffering hasn't been erased, right? The emotions haven't been healed yet. Naomi's really sad. Remember, we had talked about all the, the women of Bethlehem. Naomi gets there and they're like, oh, Naomi, what's up? And she's like, not nah, Mara. And they're like, oh, Naomi's apparently Mara now. She's like, Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. My life is bitter. And we're like, all right, Naomi, chill out just a little bit. This is not how you make friends at the lunch table. And so we see all of this stuff, all of these emotions that they're bringing, all the suffering and all the baggage that they are bringing with them. But at the very beginning, what we get to see as readers of the Bible is that while they feel like God has forsaken them, we understand that he's bringing them back not to famine, but to plenty. 
He's not bringing them back to hopelessness. He's bringing them back to a place of hope. And so the narrator that's telling the story, he actually is even using language to draw our attention to this truth. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So what has happened is Naomi has said, hey, listen, we need food. Uh, by the way, there is a man in uh, Bethlehem whose name is Elimelech. He's one of my husband's relatives. I don't really know where he is. I, I've lost contact with him, right? We're not even friends on Facebook anymore, but I, I know I think he's still here in Bethlehem. But irregardless of that, you need to go out to the fields and you need to go get food for us. Well, what the narrator is telling us is that by chance, she goes out into the field and she just so happens to go to the part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Now, what's happening in the Bible here, the narrator is using this language of chance. So we will read it and be like, no, she didn't. I just read all of chapter two. I know that it's not luck that brought her there. And so what they don't get to see that we get to see as we read the Bible is that God's hand, it has never left them. And in fact, at the very beginning, what we get to see is that God is already beginning to answer Naomi's prayer. At the very beginning, right? She says, hey, 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 ladies, um, go back to your homelands, go back to your mother's houses. I, I pray that the Lord would provide husbands for you and that you would have happy lives. Well, for Ruth, there's no chance that she's going to Bethlehem and finding a husband. She's a widow. Her mother-in-law's a widow. And by the way, her mother-in-law is a little bit psychotic right now and is kind of a weirdo. And she's like, hey, Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. And Naomi at this point is kind of like the person that you're like, hey, every, everything's going to be okay, right? We're, we're okay today, right? And so Naomi is in a pretty fragile place. She thinks that God has completely forsaken her. And as the story is playing out in their lives, maybe it really actually feels like that. But as we read the story, what we understand is that we want to reach through the text and be like, Naomi, God definitely heard your prayer. Ruth didn't just by chance land in Boaz's field. He's answering your prayer. But Naomi, she's depressed. And so she, she doesn't see it. She doesn't see God's hand orchestrating all of these events, right? And so that's really important for us to understand the perspective of Naomi and the perspective of Ruth because it's our perspective, right? That's the way we live our lives. We don't get to see God's hand at work in every moment. We don't get the completed blueprint of our entire life and God's plan for our life. He only gives us what we need for today. Right? That's exactly what he's doing for Naomi, and that's exactly what he's doing for Ruth. If God wanted, he could say, hey, Naomi, I know you're still here in Moab. What I need you to do is I need you to go back to Bethlehem. I have someone prepared for Ruth. She's going to have a husband. Uh, they're going to have a baby. By the way, in the line of that baby is going to be King David. Uh, in the line of King David comes Jesus someday. That's thousands of years from now, but just stay with me. Uh, his name is going to be Jesus. Uh, by the way, he's going to be fully God and fully man, and he's going to live a perfect life about 33 years, uh, just a quick side note. Uh, and Naomi, uh, by the way, that God man will eventually make his way to a cross. He will die for the forgiveness of sin. Yes, by the way, Naomi, your sin. Uh, when you die, you will get to go to heaven and spend eternity with me, God. And Naomi's like, all right, let's go back to Bethlehem. Right? I, no problem. I, I'm sad that my husband died, but it seems like everything works out. It's not the way that God deals with us. He doesn't lay out the entire plan and say, okay, well, here are all the main parts of your life. 
now, now trust me. No, he gives us what we need for today. What he calls us into today, he gives us the ability for that thing. He gives us the grace we need, the, the power we need, the hope we need for the moment. And so when we look at this, what we want to tell Naomi is, hey, listen, when you were back in Moab, God already had good things planned, right? Even yesterday, God was providing for you. And if he provided for you yesterday, then he's definitely providing for you today. And if he provides for you today, he will definitely provide for you tomorrow. And we're like, Naomi, just why don't you understand this? But then all of a sudden, the suffering or the trial is ours. And it's harder to tell yourself, hey, if God provided yesterday, then he'll provide today. But that doesn't make it untrue. And so what we get to see and what we get to understand is that God doesn't reveal everything to us, right? We know how things end, and we know the way in which we can be with God forever, but he doesn't give us all of the stopping points along the way. He gives us what we need for today, and this should increase our worship of him. When we read of Naomi asking something of God, and by the way, she is a little fragile. She's a, a, honestly, she's a little weird right now. But that doesn't stop God from hearing her prayer, her request, or loving her and answering. And if he does it for Naomi, certainly he will do it for us. So when I was a younger man, um, which basically means today, um, I would, at a previous time also today, pride myself in not using the instructions when I built things. Um, or I would use like the instructions, but I'd be like, you know what, I'm skipping, I'm skipping step 20 through 25 because I know what to do. And then I get to step like 26 and I'm like, I didn't know. And I'm building a dresser and all of a sudden Chelsea's like, why, why does this not look anything like a dresser? I thought we were supposed to be able to put clothes in this. It doesn't, Tyler, it doesn't have drawers. But I, I, I prided myself in, in kind of feeling like I had all of this figured out. And almost always when I do this, there's something that I either messed up or something that I forgot or I've got like five screws left and the instructions clearly say at the end, there's only two extra screws. And I'm like, I wonder if that's dangerous. But this is the reason why instructions are given step by step. Because the manufacturer wants to make sure that the finished product is exactly what it's supposed to be. That you are supposed to start at step one. And if you're building, uh, by the way, if you ever grow up someday and have children and you're building a play set for your children, you start at step one and you end at step 5,714, 85 days later. But there's a reason that it's step by step because there is an intended outcome for this and every step is needed. You can't skip it. You can't wing it. You have to follow the steps. Well, this is exactly how God's plan is revealed in our life. Step by step, moment by moment, and every single detail of our life matters to the final product. God has a plan and he's revealing each step as we need it. He doesn't say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Here are all the things in your life. Uh, by the way, you die at 65. I'm sorry, um, but you die at 65 and here are all the major things you need to know. No, you don't know the outcome of so many things, but God will provide what you need when you need it at the precise time that you need it. But the reality is he gives us what we need. To some of us, we, we may think like, well, this is actually really frustrating. I just want to know the whole thing. When it comes to our own life and the circumstances of our life, we're like, I just want to know the whole thing. I want to know how the story wraps up, right? What good things do you have in store for me? And so we're frustrated that we don't just get the complete picture. 
right? What's my life going to look like in five years? What's my life going to look like in 10 years? What's my job going to be? Am I going to get married? Am I going to have kids? Will my life be hard, God, or will my life be easy? Are there any surprises along the way? Not big on surprises. So if you could go ahead and just get those out of the way now and let me know about them, that'd be awesome. But God, uh, he, he doesn't choose to give us the full picture. And so God doesn't say, hey, here's the whole picture. Here's what your life's going to look like. Here you go. Good luck. He, he doesn't do that. Instead, he does something better for us. He, he gives us what we need when we need it. And so when we come to step five in the instructions in his plan, and it says, hey, um, by the way, you're going to need a screwdriver and some ibuprofen. <laughs> he gives us what he requires of us. And so when the day comes and you go through this difficult circumstance in your life, while it might be a surprise to you, while Naomi and Ruth are like, wait, our husbands died? This is not what we expected. God says, I, I know this is not what you expected, but I'm here. I, I know what you need. And all he asks us to do is to simply trust him, to trust that he has a good plan and that his unfolding plan, though we can't see it as a whole picture, is orchestrated by him every step of the way. Step seven is for a purpose. Step 15 is for a purpose. And while maybe you're on step four and you don't know what those look like yet, God says, when it comes time, you will have what you need. And this is what he does for Naomi and for Ruth. So the second truth, God is the only sure refuge, the only sure safe place in unsure circumstances. All right, so they, they come here, they're coming back to Bethlehem. And honestly, Naomi's only coming back to Bethlehem because that's where she's from. It's her hometown. She has no idea what's going to happen. She comes there and she's not like, you know what? God is the God of everything. He's the God of the Israelites. He's the God of the Jews. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to serve him. She's like, nah, I'm just going to go back there because that's my people. Right? She still has no idea what's happening. She still has no idea how her life is going to turn out. And neither does Ruth. And Ruth's circumstance is even crazier because she's like, hey, I'm going to a people who are not even my own. God is the only sure refuge in unsure circumstances. Why is this true? Because when we meet Boaz for the first time, Boaz, the way that he acts, his behavior, it actually teaches us something, not just about the type of man he is, but the God that he serves. You see, what Boaz does is exactly what God does. He seeks out and he embraces the foreigner. Boaz finds this lady, this foreigner who has lost her husband. She doesn't have any prospects. She has a crazy mother-in-law and he seeks her out. She makes no sense, right? That's not the lady that you want. Like if you're looking for a potential wife, you usually don't go with the lady who has been widowed with a crazy mother-in-law. She makes no sense, but that's who Boaz pursues. And this is what his action tells us about God, that God desires the needy and the outcast. God looks at the thing in the field that we're like, Oh, yeah, that's Ruth. Um, she's a Moabite. Do you know about the Moabite people? Kind of a sick story. Uh, yeah, by the way, everyone around her has died recently. Uh, and her mother-in-law uses weird voices all the time. Boaz, there's a, there's a pretty Jewish lady right over there. She has a wonderful family. She's the one you should desire. It's not what Boaz does, and that's not what God does. What Boaz ends up doing is he, he seeks out the one who makes no sense, the foreigner, the outcast, the reject. 
And he doesn't just like be nice to her. He's not just kind. He actually ends up bringing her in and, and caring for her and providing for her the things that she lacks out of his own. And so he looks at Ruth and he's like, hey, um, over here, who, who, whose are you? She's like, uh, you know, I'm with Naomi. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, don't go into any other field. You have everything you need right here. Anything that you lack, you take from my field. And in fact, I'm going to tell everyone here to keep an eye out for you, to protect you, to care for you. And when my harvesters are harvesting, I'm actually going to tell them to drop a little bit on the ground so you can go pick it up. He provides everything she needs from his own. And so what Boaz does for Ruth is what God does for us, right? He doesn't simply make her life easy. He's not like, hey, go back home. I got some people. uh, They work for this company called Uber Eats. They're going to grab some barley and they're going to run it over to your place. No, he doesn't just make her life easy. He says, hey, uh, yeah, you can work here. Um, You can spend all day in my field and you can gather as much as you can. He doesn't make her life easy but he does provide constant care and attention to her. And, and the Bible tells us here that what he ends up doing and what God does is he ends up wrapping her up like wings. That is, she's like a baby chick to him. That you, you, you are mine now. I'm your provider. I'm taking responsibility for you. Anything that you need, I will give to you. Any concern that you have, you bring to me. Right? He's, he's bringing her in. And so here's what has happened in the life of Boaz. Clearly, he has met with God, and clearly God has provided for Boaz everything that he needs. But what ends up happening is God then uses Boaz as a means of finding Ruth to provide what she needs. You know, one of the things that we often forget in our time of suffering, in our time of need, whenever we're so depressed and anxious that we can't even think outside of ourselves, is that God uses people in our life to seek us out and to provide care for us, right? That's what's happening when Boaz looks at this foreigner, right? She doesn't make sense to pursue, and yet God pursues her through Boaz, and Boaz gives to her all that he has. So here's a question for you who claim to be believers. Who have you found recently? Who is the foreigner in your life that you have gone out of your way to provide for? And I'm not talking about like opening your wallet and giving them money, but if you claim to be a believer, you have been given the gift of eternal life. You have been given the greatest single gift in all of eternity. You have been given an overflowing abundance of grace. So who are the foreigners around you that you've shared that with? Who are the rejects? Who are the outcasts in your life that you have not looked upon and said, hey, come here, I have something for you? Because that's what God does to us, that's what Boaz did to Ruth, and that's what we're called to do for others. And then finally, God's plan always involves revealing our need for redemption. So what what is God doing? In this whole book, in this chapter, what is God doing? Well, what he's doing is this. He's, He's reminding us of an important truth, that he brings us to the places that we go, he brings us to the people that we meet, He brings us into the circumstances that we face for one grand purpose, to show us of our need of being saved. God brings us to all of these places, to all of these people, to all of this suffering, to all of this joy, anything that we can face, 
to reveal to us one grand truth, that we need saved and that he desires to save us. None of you in this room are outside of God's ability to save. You don't come from a bad enough place. Your home life is not bad enough for God to look upon you and be like, hmm, heard she has a crazy mother-in-law, right? The more messed up you are, the more reject you are, the more outcast you are, God looks upon you and he desires you. And he says, hey, you, come here. I have everything you need. You don't need to look anywhere else. Everything in your life is pointing you to that truth. And so for us, as we look at Boaz, we, we have the entire Bible. And so for us, we see that Boaz is simply a foreshadow of our great Redeemer. All that the Bible calls us to do in order to receive the grace that Ruth received is to trust in Jesus. And when we trust in him, what he does is he provides everything that we need. He takes our burden and he makes it his own. And then what he does is he gives God what we owe God, death, because of our sin. And Jesus takes that death for us, he gives that to God, and then he gives to us what God has given to him, life. And all that God asks us to do, the only thing that he asks of us is to trust him, to trust him. And from that moment on, for the rest of your life, you get to live knowing that while you don't know the future, you aren't given a a special crystal ball, you will have everything you need every moment that you need it. And the very moment you think you've come back to Bethlehem empty-handed, God says, I have everything you need. Trust me.